Good morning. Yesterday, <clears throat> yesterday morning, I demonstrated a poor attitude to you as I took a stance here that uh, I was here, but only partly here. All of you, again, brought an attitude with you this morning, maybe multiple attitudes. And I want to make a few comments regarding attitudes before we go into the will today. First of all, reviewing the chart from yesterday. Let me remind you that this is not by any means the work of teachers alone. Don't get me wrong. This is the work of parents, everyone who works with children. But it is our role as teachers to give attention to the child. And as we think of these areas, of a child, you might be thinking as a teacher, well, I'm here to learn how to teach children how to understand, how to comprehend, how to do. It would seem that we're here to work with the, the mind, and that is true, but really the person dwells in that center in the heart, and you can't very well teach children if they aren't in the room. It doesn't do a whole lot of good to start teaching your lessons at 7 o'clock in the morning before the buses have come, the cars, and the children are still home. And just because their bodies walk into the room and sit down at their desks does not mean that they are present. And so, depending on what their attitude or the will is, you may be talking to the wall when you try to explain the math or the reading. That's why we're giving the attention to the affections and the will first. Those actually bring not only the bodies into the room, but they also bring the children so they are actually present so that, and their attention is turned toward the work, towards you, so their heart is turned towards you and your heart is turned toward them. Then we are ready to proceed to teach the penmanship and the spelling, and the math, and science. Today, the two areas, I'll be making a few comments yet on the affection side, just reminding you on the right side here, all of these out of the heart are the issues of life. Now, an issue is something that flows. There are some water fountains in the hallway here when you go push the button on the water fountain, something issues. There's an issue comes out of the fountain. It's nice, cold water, and you can drink the issue. That's the definition of issue. And the issues of life, the things that spring forth from life come from the heart. And our teaching, the understanding, in order to make a difference in the life, needs to go into the heart. The values, the delights, the things a person is inclined to turn his attention to in order to really make a difference in the life need to go into the heart. And the things we have a child do and practice in order for them to be his or her practices and not simply required practices have to be coming from the heart. 
And so our task is to, in our teaching and in our training, to pray, to seek, to have it go into the heart. And we cannot put it there. The child must put it there by definition. By word have I hid in my heart. Let these sayings sink deep into your heart. Jesus himself did not violate people's hearts by ripping them open and inserting things there. But he taught them and he trained. Now, just a reminder at the bottom of here, it talks about that we have teaching and training. Teaching causes someone to understand. If you do not understand, you have not been taught. Had you been taught, you would understand. Not all people can be taught all things. And if you have been trained, you do it. If you do not do it, you have not been trained to do it. So we train to do and we teach for understanding. And we need to work on both those sides. And just reminding us again of the, uh, some different aspects here. And so in the mind, we seek for understanding. We want enlightenment. We don't want the minds to be dark. We want them light with proper knowledge. And in the affections, the attitude, the stance, the delights, we want them to be, uh, we want a warm heart, warm heartedness, and not either cold or dark. You could also use another set of adjectives for that heart, and you could say you could have hard, although the, the hardness maybe would fit more in the center there with the heart itself, hard heartedness and soft heartedness. And then in the, in the top, with the will, we want it to be active rather than passive. A person can do what he's to do because everybody else is doing it, and he kind of gets carried along with the herd, with the group, but he's passively running as opposed to being active in, in that. Now, there is, as we often hear, the statement more caught than taught, and you might wonder, how can that be in the classroom? Because I spend most of my time teaching and explaining, and they they do their problems. So the greatest quantity of time, the greatest quantity of things are probably taught, but the most life-impacting and life-changing things are somehow lived into, if we want to call that caught. They're lived into. That is, they become part of that center, part of that light. So, our children can be taught to write neatly. Do they, in fact, write neatly? Does it get into the center and issue? Does it come into the center and out through the will where they write neatly and speak clearly and all these other things we teach? Or do they just do them when they're required to do them. Out of the heart are the issues of life. Now, there are, today, as we move to talking about the will, there's a, a really a, an overlap, and any time you try to talk about different aspects of a person, any time you try to make categories or things that don't fit the categories, but these two do overlap, 
And there is an interesting book uh, that you might want to consider entitled With All Due Respect. It's uh, published by Purposeful Design. And the one of the, there are some good ideas in the book. I would endorse everything. But one of the major theses of this book is that children need to be taught their behaviors. Let me read your quote here. Unless students are taught how to behave appropriately, they will not do so. To the discovery approach to discipline does not work. Did you ever feel like saying to somebody, didn't anybody ever teach you the manners? And the answer is probably no. Maybe nobody ever taught me not to talk back, not to show off, not to be unkind in my speech. And if a child has not been taught that, has not been trained out of that or trained to do what is right, what can you expect? What can you expect? It isn't his fault. It is the problem of those who work with him. Now, the book, major thesis of the book is that with all your planning, we have all these scopes and sequences of what children are supposed to learn in math. They should learn them how to multiply, divide, fractions in certain grade levels and so forth. They learn how to read and understand. But what about the scope and the sequence of behaviors? And it challenges you to sit down, challenges, challenges you as a staff in the school to sit down and name some behaviors that you expect to see in the school and name some attitudes that you expect to see displayed in the school and then work at cultivating those. Let me read you a few examples. You decide this before the school year begins. How will your students speak to you? What tone of voice will they use? You can decide what tone of voice your students will use when they speak to you, just as you decide how they will form their letters and how they will line up their words when they add them, when their uh, numbers and straight columns to add and subtract, you can decide what tone of voice they will use in your classroom. Do you expect to hear them say please and thank you? Will they listen when you are speaking? You can decide that before the year begins, whether they will or not, whether that is a good thing. How will they disagree with you or others? There will come times that students disagree with you or with others. You decide how they will go about expressing that disagreement in a proper way. How will they deal with losing? There will be times when they will lose. And you, can de you decide how they will express that. How will your students respond when you correct them? You decide what is the appropriate way for them to respond when you correct them. You can demonstrate that. You can demonstrate an inappropriate way, an appropriate way, a little like I demonstrated an inappropriate stance yesterday morning. You can demonstrate this is not the tone of voice to use. You do not speak to a teacher in an imperative. You do not say, could you uh, move aside so I can see the chalkboard? You need to explain to them that that is not a way a student speaks to a teacher. 
Will they willingly improve their work if it is deemed to be substandard? Will they invite others into their group when they're playing on the playground? How will they handle getting out in a game? Those are a few samples to illustrate. You decide not only what your students will learn in math or science, you decide what attitudes they will display. Now, we know very well that we do not want to try to take over the heart. You do not want to crush the spirit. A dog, a horse whose spirit is crushed, they say, is worthless. And you want that active energy to remain in the heart of the child. You want him to, you want a child who feels, who cares, who wills, who grasps. You want energy in there, but you want him to do it by his energy. I can remember the place I was sitting many years ago. I can, it's one of those moments I can picture where I was sitting and the attitude I was sitting in and which direction of the room I was facing. It was in Farmersville Mennonite School years ago when uh, Eddie Martin, I believe, was speaking. And the gist of his comment was something like this, that we want to somehow reach the heart strings of the child, of the pupil, and have the pupil do what is to be done by his heart, by his energy. And it's sometimes said in colloquial terms, getting the want to working. And we know that when the child grasps and wants to do it, it makes a world of difference. So in concluding a few words about the affections, those of you who teach youngest grades, first and second grade, those lower grades, preschoolers, feelings are ruling in the hearts of these child children. They go by feelings, and we can expect it. Don't expect to explain to these children that Johnny doesn't like it when you push him, and therefore you should not push him. There's nothing wrong with mentioning that, but don't expect that rational understanding to, to drive the behavior of the child. But rather, you want to cultivate proper and healthy affections, proper attitudes, proper feelings. And as we said yesterday, it is possible to cultivate a child who adopts, who delights in doing things that are kind. And so with these youngest children, you can demonstrate. They need to see it modeled. You can demonstrate proper standing, proper holding the paper, proper greeting. Uh, procedures. It's amazing how quickly young children can learn by imitation. They only need to see something happen once or twice, and I'll tell you what, they can do it pretty well. And if you model something well for them or point out a model to them and bless that, they can model that when they find out what, and then you want to, and you ask, how do you do this? There's, there's no formula but you can pray that the Lord would let these things sink into the hearts, that they would have a feeling of wanting to do well. And so you, 
you train them, you encourage them, you praise them, and at times you rebuke them for improper behavior or improper attitudes. With, a, with an infant, we know that the beginning point with an infant, a baby, is security. And when that child is secure, and by the way, this is true with first and second graders too, this is true with anyone, you want to feel secure and safe. And so when you provide security, they feel, feel safe. This is a safe place to be. These are safe people to be around. When you provide for these young children acceptance, they have a feeling of belonging. I belong here. I belong with, this, with these people in this classroom. When you provide nurture, they feel cared for. Somebody is looking out for me. Somebody is paying attention to me. Somebody is giving me what I need. Let's move up to the middle grades. Still thinking of the attitudes here. The middle grades, upper elementary, help these people to uncover, to identify, and to notice attitudes. They do have them but we don't know what we have until we look at it. And so just as you might take your hand and look at it and say now your thumb is different from the fingers. It's called an opposing thumb and uh, it does something different. So you can look at this thumb and see how it works and look at it in a new light. So you can name some of these attitudes that these elementary children have and you can identify these attitudes and you can encourage the proper ones and also awaken some that are dormant that the Lord provides there. I don't know if they're there in dormant or what, but some years ago there was an organization called uh, Mail for Tots and uh, it provided an opportunity to send letters to terminally ill children. And we had in our language arts class, we had students write letters and mail them to these children. And occasionally, they actually heard back from somebody. Look for opportunities to have your children experience something that can awaken a feeling, a desire of service or compassion. Have them recognize things like respect, respect <clears throat> order, neatness. And then with your older children, your adolescents, Encourage them to, and help them to discipline their affections, to bring them into captivity, under control. You do not need to be ruled by your feelings as they come and go like waves of the sea. Amid the changing times, amid the hormones and the growth and these changes that come in growing up, there's, there are various feelings come and go, but help them commit to the unchangeable. We have a valuable task to do, an important task to do, as we both demonstrate and cultivate affections. And now we want to talk more directly about the will. So in your book, there's an outline on the will. I'd like to turn our attention now to the will. Now looking at the chart here, at the circles, we find the, the fruit, the output, 
the output. Now this output could be speaking, it could be doing the schoolwork, it could be actually uh, understanding. It's, it, it comes out. It's the, you might say, the fruit, the fruit. The fruit of both the, the uh, affections that we have and also the understanding that we have that comes out. Our goal is, and now there are some things that come out and sometimes we don't know the difference. Only the Lord knows the difference. Whether this outcome is passive or whether it's active, whether I'm doing it because you told me I have to do it, and so I'll do it, and I'll do it very well. I will stand properly, I will sing with a good uh, expression, and I will do all this because everybody else is doing it. It's what's expected, it's what I get graded on, and things go best if I do this, and that's why I'm doing it. And it's very difficult to tell the difference between that or whether the child has actually adopted that and is doing it willingly. All of you came with a will this morning. Not only did you bring some attitude into this room, right now you have a will. It's not your last will and testament, but it's your will. And you are willing something right now. Another word that's often used here but not as much anymore, is the word pleasure. Sometimes the word term is used, what is your pleasure? That's your pleasure. And also your inclination. Now you can have an inclination that's kind of subliminal, and then you can have the pleasure, but the will is what you actually do. I think if you want to picture, for those of you with uh, who, that picture of things in your minds, one of the best images I could give you of this is holding a child. When you hold a child, not an infant, but uh, you're holding a toddler, do you hold the child or does the child hold you? Now you've all had the experience probably holding a child who really doesn't want to be held. And it's amazing how a 12 pound or 15 or 22 pound child, it's amazing how heavy a 22-pound child is who really doesn't want to be held. Now, of course, if they really want down and squirm and wiggle, that's difficult. But if they, if they are not resistant, but neither are they clinging, and you have to hold them like a sack of flour, it's amazing how heavy a child can be. And when a child wants to be held and grasps onto you, you almost don't need to hold the child. The child almost, you wonder, is the child holding himself or is he holding you? Now, let that be your, your uh, visual image for the, our goal. As we begin the day, as we work with our children, we want their wills, their wills engaged, and we cannot engage the child's will. This is a mystery. It's a mystery how the inner part of each of us works and how the inner part of these children work. But we all know that if the children latch on to us, Paul said something about, I, I'm apprehended by that which I apprehend. That which gets a hold of me, I get a hold of. And there's some relationship there. I think it's a bit out of context. But there is that which when we study into and it grasps us and it intrigues us and it pulls us in more. and. So, now, looking at uh, a couple verses here, 
The psalmist says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, thy law is within my heart. Now, we talked about the delights uh, yesterday, but notice he said, I delight to do. Not just to think about. We don't just want our children to care about and to feel good about good things. We want them to actually delight in doing it with their will, not our will. Now, it's okay if they, well, they should function by our will. If we ask them to do things, they should line up, come in, sit down, whatever, listen, pay attention. But when they do it by their will, it's worth so much more. And the psalmist said, I delight to do by will. And it is possible, in fact, as believers, it's absolutely necessary for us to adopt God's will. It actually becomes our will. You're allowed to do your will. This is getting into a bit of theology here that you can chew over. It's, it's okay to do your will when it becomes God's will. That is, he actually, we want the children to adopt the tasks that we give them as their own. Now, look at the next verse. This is a mystery talking about Jesus Christ. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. Now, I think it means what it says. I think it means he learned something. Jesus came even as the son of God. He found himself in a position that neither he nor God had, in, had been in before. He found himself in position as a man. And he only became a man when he became a man. He, he was a child for a while, but he grew up and he became a man. All right, I'm a man. And as a man, he learned obedience. He ex learned, so he experienced something that he learned. This was something new to be the Son of God and to be man, and then to completely submit and adopt the will of his father. That's the mystery there. But he experienced something experientially, and then he pursued it. Now, I'm referring to this because if it was necessary and appropriate for the Son of God to do this, it's certainly necessary for all of us and our children. And so, looking at a few terms, the will, then, is the the ability, the faculty that we use to deliberate. First of all, we deliberate. We, we ponder, we think, and then decide upon. And once we decide, we don't just stop there, but we actually choose and pursue a course of action. Some people would say, yes, I should do this, or you call them in the morning, are you getting up? Yes, I'm getting up. But you're still lying in bed. But what has happened is that you have decided that you're going to get up, but you haven't gotten up yet. Does, does anybody understand that? Am I connecting with anything you've ever experienced that you decided, I'm going to get up. Mm -hmm. I've decided, it's, it's time to get up. I agree, I affirm. Turn off my alarm, that decision's all made. But we're still in bed. 
Now, children can often deliberate, agree, decide, and choose, but yet not do it. And so if we actually are, are willing and doing something, it's, it's got to go right through when the feet are on the floor, we're actually executing the will now, carrying it out. And so it's that faculty that carries through. And so willing behavior, I have a few definitions here you can jot down if you'd like. So willing behavior is where you actively and energetically follow a course of action by your by one's own choice. So when our children are applying themselves to the lessons willingly they have chosen and they're doing it by their it's fine for them to do it by our choice but it's even better for them to do it by their own choice. Now, in contrast to willful behavior, one who is willful is simply bent on having it his own way. I think we have all experienced, one time or another, being told to do something, and we actually agree it would be the thing to do, it would be the proper thing to do, and I really would like to do it, but I wish I hadn't been told. Because simply because I was told to do it, I'm just not quite ready to do it, even though, now, if you hadn't said it, I would do it. Now, in my talk, does that make any sense? Can anybody identify? Put your hand up if you can identify with that. All right. So willfulness is, I mean, it's got to be my decision, and if I'm asked to do it, but I'm not the one who said it first and you told me to do it, but then I don't want to do it. So that's willfulness, and we do not want, that's something different from being truthful, truly willing. <laughs> now, I think we, so that's something to train out of our students, willfulness, and name it for what it is. And you can tell your children, just like I told you, that sometimes you might feel this way, and that is not a proper way to feel, and if you, explain this sometime and it happens you can say hmm do we see some willfulness here let's see if we can be willing instead now any gift any ability any aptitude we have must in fact be trained for development and so the will does we are born with wills but they must be trained to act habitually from worthy motives. A little like a coach works with someone. You can have an excellent uh, runner, a person with excellent skills for some physical activity, but any native talent must be pruned and trained for better exercise. And that's also true with the, the will. And uh, there's there's this story of Fanny Crosby who was, had a native ability to, this was ability to write poems, and of course she was blind, and so people kind of uh, pitied poor Fanny, and so they, they um, encouraged her 
poetry, even though it left some things to be desired, they say, she eventually went to a school and some teacher had the willingness to tell Fanny, do you know what, Fanny? This poetry needs some improvement. Now I'm saying it in a few words here. And this, this offended Fanny a bit. Nobody had ever told her that it could be improved. But she accepted it and actually it was improved and we have Fanny Crosby's hymns. Now that's true across the board and the will is something children need their will trained. And so there are several things to say about this and I'll just go down over these. One thing is subordination. The child must experience having his will subordinated to somebody else's. This primarily happens by training the behavior. When you train, when you require certain behaviors from your children, it does have a training effect on the will. You can't guarantee, you can't, there's, there's no formula here, but it does have a training effect. And so simply requiring the will to be subordinated to the captain, the teacher, the leader, the parent, you know, other people. It gives you a protection for willfulness from just being willful. And the child actually has the experience of having his or her will under control. And a child who does not have the experience of having the will under control is like a loose uh, cannon. It's, uh, you have to have that experience sometime or other. It brings practice in self-control. If the child is ever going to control his or herself by his or her own will, they should have the, they need the experience of being under control. Bringing not only thoughts, but also bringing your will into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And it provides preparation for self-governing. Eventually, if a person cannot take control of his will, you can't give it to somebody else either. This thing is out of control. It's never been in control. And if something's out of control, uh, if you're on a fire hose and, uh, and you lose the end of a fire hose, you know how dangerous it is to try to uh, get that thing under control. You can get yourself uh, injured very severely if you try to get a hose. And so you have this thing whipping around, and but if a child's ever going to give his will to the Lord, He's got to have the experience of having that thing under control. So there's subordination. Now, we can require subordination, but that's only one step. We must also model submission. Subordination, the will is brought under control. Submission is actually an, act, an activity on the part of the child where the child now actively submits her will. We cannot submit the child's will. We cannot. Submission includes a number of things, more than this, but a few things. It includes active obedience in response to a whole variety of things. Authority, active submission, choosing to place my will with, to work along with, not just under, but to work with, to adopt, the teacher's will as my will. The team has decided to play this game. They've decided to play uh, uh, softball 
I adopt that, I actively choose that as my will. It's my will in the next 15 minutes to play softball. That's not what I had chosen, but I've, I've adopted it. It also includes accepting the circumstances, working with the God-given abilities that you have or inabilities, and not fretting, not fighting against them, working with the limitations you have, limitations of time and place and um, material resources, and working with opportunities that you have, working within in given situations and submitting to God. Now, in order to To have a training effect, a key here is for the practice in will training to have a training effect, there must be the free exercise of the will on the part of the child in doing right. Now, constrained obedience is certainly better than disobedience. We do want the child to obey. But for the child's activities to have a true training effect on the will, our goal is to have them exercise, freely choose to do what needs to be done. As we work with the child, our goal in training the will, our goal is for there to be uh, several things. One is an inner obligation for the child to have a sense inside, a sense of duty. There's an old word you can bring out and dust off that still fits today. Duty. What duty do we have? A sense of what is right to do. Someone has said that uh, motives impel the will. Motives tend to to move the will, but they don't compel the will. Motives alone are not enough to cause a person to do something. It takes something more than that. And many times when we want children to exercise the will, we either explain, 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 and it's appropriate to do some instruction, but that's never going to be enough. Or we regiment, regiment, regiment. And you will, get perf- you will get behavior if you regiment, but that does not get to the heart in the proper way where the, child, where the child both feels good and adopts and delights to do what is right. And so as we work with children to help them adopt a sense of what's right and want to do it, we need to pray We need to ask for wisdom. The child keeps his heart, and we want to help him give it, help him know how to give it. And then there's another step of our goal as we work in training the will is to have the child actually exercise his will, choose to do what's right. We want to see our children exercising their wills. I I don't just want you to do this because I told you to do it, but... 
Now, I'm not saying you tell them this just bluntly like that, but that's our goal. We want them to be doing, choosing to do, and then expressing it indeed. Notice that the sense of what I ought to do, I ought to get up, choosing to do. Yes, I'm going to get up. I have decided that. But then we want to see it actually happen. I have gotten up. And this is what we often call virtue. If you actually do it, you are not only wise, but you are also virtuous. A virtuous person actually then does it. In order to in order to exercise the will, a child actually needs some instruction. He needs help. He needs help. And we can help train him, instruct him, and give them a reason to care. It's appropriate to have a feeling of wanting to do what needs to be done, wanting to do well, wanting to do what's, what's proper. And so we give them a reason to, to care, a reason to do what is right and proper. We also want them to have a purpose, not only a feeling, but purpose, a desire to do it, a, a reason, and then a feel, and last of all, Many times a child would like to do, but doesn't really know what to do. Maybe needs some ideas. Maybe needs some suggestions. Uh, you could help someone. You could clean up after yourself. Listen quietly. Try your best. And you might recall some of you the little account in Farmer Boy where Almanzo came to his father at the county fair and said, he asked his father for a nickel, and uh, father said, well, if Frank treated you, it's only right you should treat him. So he assumed that Frank had spent the nickel to buy lemonade for Amonzo. Well, father considered giving the nickel to Frank, and then I won't take time to read this, but he said, Amonzo, do you know what this is? And he held up a silver dollar. And Amonzo said, half a dollar. This is, a, excuse me, held up a silver half dollar. Yes, but what is a half dollar? And then they went over the story of how much work is involved in earning a half dollar by comparing it to potatoes, raising potatoes, and how much work is involved. And then he said, I, can, I, call, I could give this to you and if you wanted to, he said, you can have it. That's what this half dollar is. And he said, you could buy a sucking pig with it if you want to. That is, if you will. You could raise it. It would raise a litter of pigs worth 4 or $5 a piece. Or you could trade that half dollar for lemonade and drink it up. You do as you want. It's your money. Almanzo went back to the boys and they said, what did he give you? What did he give you? Where's your nickel? He said, dad didn't give me a nickel. He gave me a half dollar. He did not. He did too. He held up his half dollar. And the boys wouldn't believe it. They crowded around and then he put it back in his pocket and he said, I'm going to look around and I'm going to buy a good little sucking pig. 
Now, Almanzo had been given an opportunity, and there are those teachable moments when our students can be given opportunity, and we don't know what they will do. But we can give them an opportunity to make a choice. And some, and in this case, he chose to buy the sucking pig. And that, you can guess, had an impact on his life. Now, he might have chosen to drink it up in lemonade. And so father would thought, well, okay. That's, but I'll stop here today with uh, just calling us to remember the image of holding the child when your children come in your room in the morning there's a sense in which you are picking them up for the day you're not holding them like infants but are they grasping a hold of the day's tasks with the same energy with which you're grasping a hold of the day's tasks and when we say but today, our lesson is adding fractions with denominators that are different from each other. So we need to find something called the least common multiple. And as you approach that with a will and energy to learn that, are they also approaching it with will and energy to learn? It's a tall order, but it can be done. And it's, it's as important for us to give attention to training our students' attitudes and will toward this new math problem as it is to helping them understand what at least common multiple is. If they aren't looking in their hearts, if they don't care, and they'd rather not, oftentimes their explanations fall on deaf ears.
courteous yesterday. Have the will to be courteous, considerate, appreciative, and orderly. And uh, when you have 300 people, that is an important thing. If you look in your uh, booklet for the uh, recording form and evaluation sheets, this is just after the description of the workshop and work session. Page six on the map, and then there's a recording, and uh, you can pay attention to that as you wish. And then the evaluation form. Um, we do not let you leave <coughs> until this is complete. Well, not really. But, uh, um, if you have a pen, why don't we get going on that thing right now? So if you can decide the first thing quickly, mail or And then uh, the. Uh, Formal training. Um, completed how many years of school? If you are one of those who said, uh, oh yeah, grade five, those are uh, three best years of my life, you can do the mathematics there as far as uh, how many years you. Um, I know my first grade teacher told my mother, I may as well start all over with grade one with Howard. He's forgotten everything over the summer holidays. So uh, I, I did pull through grade two and uh, uh, it was unlike my uh, sister. Well, she didn't repeat. She just made the comment that uh, I'm the first dumbest in the class. So that was her um, expression. Teaching experience. And what you plan to teach, that just gives us a general idea of the composition of this group and how large the school is. Gives us an indication of how many multi-classroom, multi-grade classrooms there are. And then it's a helpful idea, I think, to work through the workshop evaluations as you go. At least I know when I try to do this at the end of the of a teacher's week or meeting such as this, I sort of get things tangled up as to how I felt about things and particularly the uh, comments. So uh, the workshop number, of course, is important. You get the right one. And uh, then uh, rating from one to three, uh, three being the high. And um, so if you keep current on that, that will be helpful to you and to us. And then uh, comments about the main sessions. Of course, those are not finished yet, so you may not be able to do that. But on the reverse side, uh, there's also something that's important to us as far as future um, Teachers Weeks. Um, about yourself and suggestions for people to be presenters another year, and simply any comments or notes that you want to add. So we do appreciate you uh, working through that form very much. A few other things here. Um, workshop 
20 is quite full. That's the one by Anna Zare this morning. Uh, Ten things your students wish you would know. One thing that the planning committee uh, wants you to know is that it's quite full. And so uh, when the room is full, uh, uh, you'll have to find another spot. So I think for those who have uh, sort of signed up for it, I think there's room for all of them. But So if you're debating whether to go to that one or another one, you might want to choose another one. For those of you who are staying at the Quality Inn in Meadville, uh, the management indicated that the parking lot was full last night. And uh, if you could carpool, that would be appreciated by them. We have another option. Uh, we found out that uh, uh, we can also park overnight at the Auto Zone, which is just across the road from the Quality Inn. So you do have permission to park there at Auto Zone. Well, we're having workshops beginning at 10 o'clock this morning and going through 11, then 15-minute break, and then the split sessions beginning at 11.15, followed by lunch. And a word to those of you in the chapel, uh, if you would exit for the food line through the back door, uh, the stairs lead right to the food line, so it's a very efficient way of doing it, and it helps the flow of traffic as well. And perhaps you would like to eat with some friends. Uh, if you wish to eat together at lunch, it would be helpful if you would go through the line together. Uh, the ushers sometimes have a little difficulty uh, getting everything together. Is there any other announcement this morning? Okay, I hope you had a great day yesterday. And I hope today is ten times better. You may now sit there and continue with your evaluation form or have a little nap for a few minutes and or take a little break and head off to your first workshop. You're excused. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.